1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 18, episode 35. This is Writing Excuses, managing the mega arc.
2: Fifteen minutes long.
1: Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary
3: Robinette. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Aaron. And I'm Howard. And this week, we're going to talk about big projects and the tools we use in order to to keep them in line. I'm reminded of the, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was who was making such a big deal about how, you know, the, the stones and the pyramids were laid out in perfect straight lines and Someone else pointed out, like, dude, they had string. You pull the string straight, and boy, you've you got a straight edge right there. You can just line these things up. There are some very simple tools that mm-hmm. we can use to manage really big things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this to the rest of the cast. Um, what is your string? Hey, Aaron, do you want to
2: talk about Airtable?
0: <laughs> I do want to talk about Airtable. So. I will say first that um, while Airtable is actually free to use, I am not being, you know, a shill for Airtable. It Any sort of database or way of tracking things can work. It's just the one that I really love because it has a really great, fun way of looking on the screen that works for me. But what I like to do is a lot for my game writing projects is to track things like character names, places, uh, what I've done, uh, what I mean to do, And one of the reasons that I really like tracking is actually maybe for a different reason than other people do. I use tracking a lot of the time and I use Airtable, which is like I set up this database and I'll list like every character I've ever mentioned, every place that's ever shown up in this particular game, is to find places, uh, find the things that I'm missing about myself. So for example, if I track all my characters and their genders, I may find that I overly skew one way or the other in terms of gendering characters if I then add in a little bit about their personality traits or alignments in like a D&D or TTRPG world, I may find, for example, that I love chaotic good women, which I do because I am one. <laughs> and so I, and that I love, you know, and that I make all men evil because they, no, just good, uh, <laughs> And those types of things, we often miss in our own work, the patterns that we're creating. And I think that a lot of times when you create patterns, Uh, and you're not intentional about them, that's when you can replicate bad things in the world that we don't necessarily want to put on the page. And so for me, tracking is a way to keep things straight, uh, to learn that I love names that start with the letter K and that I can't make everybody's name a two-syllable K name because eventually (laughs) it'll be very difficult to keep them apart. I don't Um, know.
2: World of Karens is pretty (laughs) (laughs)
0: terrifying. That's that's actually a bad theme park. The World of Karens. That feels very
2: much
3: much like the string metaphor I led with. You stretch that string out and if one of the bricks is sticking just a little to one side, oh, you can see, oh, that is so clearly a thing I've, I've done wrong. Let's, uh, let's fix it. Exactly.
1: I, I also do a spreadsheet um, for similar reasons to spot my internal biases. Uh, but then I also, the thing that I started doing, and this gets to the, um, uh, over the course of a long series, I originally was putting in the characters' ages, but in the Lady Astronaut books, I just finished writing book four, which takes place 17 years after the first book. And so, when a character, a new character enters the world, I'm like, okay. So, so I just wrote down their age, but their age in what year? Uh, so now I write down what year they were born. Mm instead, which uh, which it makes it much easier to track. I still have to do math, but it makes it much easier to figure out like where the they where they are in relationship to the other characters in the book
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and and how old they are as the story progresses
2: and going back to tools specifically, you know, Aaron mentioned that Airtable is a database, which is technically true, but also makes it sound very scary. Functionally, when you're interacting with it, it is a series of linked spreadsheets is kind of what it looks like that you can make it. Show your information in various ways. It is an incredibly powerful tool. It's a very cool tool and one that I highly recommend playing around with and exploring a little bit. If you want something slightly less hierarchical, uh, for I use this a lot for my games. Um, I use a tool called no- Notion. Or no, sorry, not Notion. I use Obsidian, uh, which is sort of like a series of just linked text documents. Um, but the reason I really like it is it has two features. One, it has a digital whiteboard version, so you can sort of lay stuff out visually. And the other is it automatically links different documents together. Um, if you mention something in one document, it'll it'll give you a, sort of a mind map, so you can sort of see how things are connected and clustered, and that gives you a really useful way to be like, okay, this location, these characters, these plot points... Are all linked in this way, or so you can find connections or see where you didn't draw a line that you need to. Um, And so, a lot of these tools are just different ways to visualize all the information that's in your head in a really structured way that can give you more insight into what it is you're trying to accomplish.
3: Often we we uh, we resist tools that have a learning curve at the front of them. You you look at the tool like, oh, I I I don't have to learn to program a database. I don't want to have to learn how to format a spreadsheet, Uh, the very first planning tool that I really used for Schlock Mercenary was a uh, a standalone wiki software called WickedPad, Mm Wiki-D-Pad. And I always pronounced it Wiki-D-Pad because it never occurred to me that the developer was making a fun pun and calling it WickedPad. (laughs) Um, I loved it because while I was typing, uh, by doing, you know, just a couple of keystrokes at the beginning and the end of a name, it automatically turned that name into a link for a new page. And so I could just write and and by by doing whatever those little blips were, I don't know if it was double pipes or whatever, by, by doing those at the beginning of a thing, I was making a note to myself that says, I'm going to expand on this later. And then I'd go back on it and click it and boom, up comes a blank page and I can start writing again. And the the desktop version, the only me version of the Schlock Mercenary Wiki was born, and we talked about it in an early episode of Writing Excuses. And I'm not here to pitch WickedPad to you. I'm saying the tool that's going to work for you might be the tool that is the most intuitive,
1: and maybe that's maybe that's sticky notes on the wall, uh-huh. uh, maybe that's a clipboard. So the the two. Um like you know, you'll you'll hear people talk about needing to build their world-building Bible and things like that. And yes, I use a spreadsheet to track my characters' ages. I use things like Aeon Timeline to to track um, to track the the big over you know making sure that I have actually allotted enough time for them to get to pl- from point A to point B. But most of my world building, um, I don't. That my my two organizational methods are the find function. <laughs> So that I can look for it in something that I have already written, because if it's not in the document, it is not canon, and I can change it. And uh, and then my Scrivener, I have a section that's called Useful Links, and I just drop the links in randomly, like when after I've researched something, I will drop a link into what I've researched, and. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is that I know a lot of people who feel like they have to create this very detailed document before they can start writing. And I am here to tell you that if you are uh, chaotic neutral about your organization, or chaotic evil as my case may be, um, you don't actually have to... What Howard said earlier about using the tool that works for you to solve the problem Mm -hmm. that you need to be solved. All I need to solve with... My links is if someone says, where did you get that? That I have some place where I have it saved. I think
3: my
2: alignment is lawful lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In woodworking, which is another one of my hobbies, I'm going to continue to pull extended metaphors from my hobbies. Um, There's two ways. There's the, the, the old saying that if you're a carpenter, you measure twice and cut once. Um, there's a whole different school of thought to that, right? So in this case, measure twice cut once is very much like, I'm cutting this to this exact dimension. It is going to be this size. and I've planned it all out and you've built you know a cut list of like 15 different things that are exact measurements and you have to follow that to a T. If you screw up, your whole project's gonna be off, right. Um, that is how I think of very much this like world building document where you're pre-building all these things in a very detailed way. There's another mode of thinking that I find more useful. It's a very traditional method called relative measurement, right? You have a board. You are now going to mark that board in ratio to the next thing you want to make, right? So if you have a drawer back, then that is the size of your drawer. You're going to cut your drawer front in a way that matches the size of that. It doesn't matter how big it is. You don't need to know that it's nine inches and three quarters. You just need to know it's this size. I'm marking it to be the same as that size. And so you can do that with all of your joinery and all of your pieces. And you have a thing at the end that is very beautiful and very proportional that fits the design that you wanted, but you're doing it all relative to each other rather than trying to impose this top-down hierarchy on it. So if you approach your organization that way, I think for a lot of people that can be much more intuitive and fluid and sort of take some of the stress off of having to figure all these things out beforehand.
3: See, my own woodworking mantra is, I've cut this three times and it's still too short.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Then you just cut the other board to be short enough so that it fits. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
3: Um, When we return from our break, I'm going to talk about turning my planning tools into money.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
2: And here's the best part your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at try life MD.com. That's trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M
1: D.com. I want to talk to you about Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor. This book, like, I, I started recommending this book before I finished it, which is unusual for me. Um, He imagines a a future where the sea levels have risen as they are going to. So it's not really imagining the future. But um, one of the things that he's looking at is whether or not octopi pods can be sapient. And he's got that layered on uh, with the way AI might manage fishing vessels. And like there are all of these different layers and it's heavily heavily researched, and all of the characters are also scientists at the top of their game. So the amount of research that he had to do was huge, but it feels pretty effortless on the page. So if you want to look at, like, what the end result of some of these these tools that we're talking about are, um, and you want just a really good read that's very thought-provoking, I I highly recommend Mountain and the Sea by Ray Naylor.
3: Probably the single most profitable thing uh, Sandra and I put together for Schlock Mercenary was the Planet Mercenary role-playing game. And I have a PDF of the Planet Mercenary role-playing game on my desktop that I refer to all the time so that I can get my world-building details right. It's totally fair to write a 300,000-page role-playing book and expect to make money off of it and then to refer to it yourself. There is there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and as I joked in a previous episode, between the words schlock and mercenary, which word suggests I wouldn't do something like that?
1: So I've done a, a similar thing, which is um, not not the role-playing game, but one of the, the things that I've done to, to monetize my research is that I have a bookshop.org, and so I have on that bookshop.org I have a list of the bibliography that I have for the books that uh, that I you know use to research my my stuff and and it's there for two reasons one it makes it easy reference for me two people are always asking me like where can where can I go to get information like this and then um, because it's through bookshop.org I actually get an affiliate Kickback from that. It's not that you have to do this thing, but one of the things that you will be doing as a writer is looking for multiple income streams.
2: And just one thing in general I'll remind you is that there's no such thing as throwaway work and writing, right? It may be frustrating to feel like you've written however many words in world building and prep work and pre-writing, you know, if that's 50,000 words, whatever. It That all goes into building up your internal understanding of this world in the way that you may need it so that that work is going to go into the book that you're writing, right? Words that you write and throw away, just because they're not ending up on the final printed page, doesn't mean that they were worthless. It just was what that project required, right? And not every book will require that. Maybe that's something you do for your first book. Maybe it's something you find you need to do for your seventh book, right? But, you know, I, I love framing, like, being able to take the pre-work you're doing and make it work for you in other ways. I think that's an absolutely brilliant way. I think writers, yes. Look for other ways to monetize that income, that work you're doing. Look for other income streams. But also don't feel like you're wasting time by doing those things. Yes, you, sometimes for some people it's a mode of procrastination, but I just encourage people really, it's like if that's your process, that's your process. And lean into it and find ways to make that work for you. And don't beat yourself up just because that doesn't end up on the printed page. One of my of favorite day. outgrowths of
3: the research was... Uh, we, I had a spreadsheet for when people were born, um, and I realized that two of my main characters uh, were from the same area, had the same life, ex- you know, b- about the same lifespan, and may have been sitting on different sides of the same war. And I had never explored that. And an entire story, and a whole bunch of character data came out of one moment where I looked at a spreadsheet and went, huh.
0: Yeah, I think something else that that, that spreadsheets can do, um, and granted I love them more than I should, uh, is it it teaches you what you care about. So a, a lot of the process of, of making a spreadsheet is trial and error. So you decide, I'm going to make a spreadsheet today, and you're like, oh, I'll put all the characters' names down or something, something very easy, and you're like, I'm going to track their... Age, and you're like, oh no, that's wrong because my thing goes through time. Actually, I need to track their date of birth. That tells you something about the way you mm-hmm. view the story, the time scale that you're working on. Mm-hmm. If you keep going back to your spreadsheet and being like, oh, the spreadsheet is not working because it doesn't tell me X, that means X is important. And number one, figure out if there's a way to add it to your spreadsheet. And number two, like that should be then something, if that's something important to you, then it's something important to the story. And you should see, is that actually coming through, that thing that you keep thinking about? And so I think that a lot of times what tools do is they force you to take the wide creative universe that you're looking in and put it into some sort of structural mode. Even if it's just like, I've made PowerPoints of stories before being like, random things I mentioned that I should get back to, they don't have a lot of form to them. But it's a way of putting it somewhere on paper, putting it in some sort of box, even if it's just a box that I'm going to rifle through later to see if there's something really interesting that I can use to inspire myself going forward.
2: Abria Iyengar has this brilliant world-building question that she uses, that is, what is the lie that the people of your world believe in, Right. And the questions you're asking and putting into your spreadsheet can be so thematic and so creative and so generative that, yes, you want the biographical detail of when was this character born, who knows who, what are the connections. But also, you know, going to Howard's example of here are two people on opposite sides of war, what lie were each of those characters sold, right? What things do those characters believe, and how is that going to drive story down the line? And the way that these tools, are storytelling tools. They, they sound cold and mechanical when you say it's a spreadsheet, it's a database. But I think from that, you can find such rich narrative hooks and chase your own interests. As, as Aaron was just saying, you, know, you list the things that you are interested in. Sometimes you'll be like, this is boring. I'm not interested in this part of this world or this set of characters or this question. Because when you're making a spreadsheet, you are asking a question. And I think that is a really useful way to think about these things as you approach it.
3: In structuring Schlock Mercenary, I realized on around, I think, book five or six, I realized that every book needed to stand alone because it needed to be a saleable product without someone having to buy the earlier books. Mm. That may sound crassly commercial, and that's because it is. it, It would have been a terrible business decision to tell people, oh, you have to start with my very first thing I ever did before you can read this thing that I'm super proud of. The solution to, I mean, it should be obvious. I need to make sure that the beginning of every book introduces the characters who are going to be important and that the end of the book resolves questions, answers questions that were asked by those characters at the beginning of the book. And that started going into my planning spreadsheets Uh, very early on. I I would have, you know, some cells for, you know, this is the plot, this is the big story, and then I would have columns and cells for the specific characters that this book was tracking. I had people come to me later and say, you know, I always thought Schlock was the main character, but he's almost never the main character in the stories. It's like, yes, Yes, I'm oh I'm so glad you noticed that. That's how we're supposed to say that, right? That's, Mary yes. Robinette. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad you noticed that. Um he's very rarely the protagonist because he very rarely gets an arc that that tracks things. I realized on about book 17, book 18, I realized that I needed to return to Schlock for the finale and And so the ending that I had originally envisioned, the big solution, the big resolution to the plot that I had originally envisioned and that I had in my spreadsheets needed to have more schlock in it. And I went back to, and this is going to sound funny, I went back to an old forum post from like 2003 where someone said, yeah, the answer to a lot of these stories is just schlock eats it. (laughs) And I looked at that and thought, you know... I bet that'll work. Character's I, destiny, you know? I, yep. bet th- I bet that'll work. And it felt so... Uh, it was one of those moments, and again, it grows right out of staring at the spreadsheet and realizing there's this pattern, and there's this missing piece of this pattern, and I have to fill it with this character. Uh, I took my proposal for the changed ending to my brother and said, uh, this is what I'd like to try. And his response was, oh my gosh, that's genius. How long have you been planning this? I'm like, 30 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm so yeah. glad you noticed. Uh, speaking of 30 minutes, we don't want to run for a full 30 minutes. So let's wrap this up with some
0: homework. Aaron? So we have talked about a few different tools today. And sometimes I think about tools as, as hammers in search of a nail. So the homework is for you to actually find what are the nails within whatever story that you're working on. What are the things that you can or could track within your story? And what I would challenge you to do is find three different things that your story could be tracking, whether those are informational, thematic, character-driven, emotional. Write down what those are, maybe a few examples of what those could be. Uh, if it's birth dates, write down five characters' birth dates. If it's theme, write down what five characters are thinking about thematically. And then start looking at what are some tools that could actually help you take those nails and build something really cool out of
1: them. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. We are now offering an interactive
3: tier on our Patreon, found at patreon.com slash writing excuses, called Office Hours. Once a month, you can join a group of your peers and the hosts of Writing Excuses to ask questions.
1: Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit
4: writingexcuses.com.